Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible sexual empowerment and relationship coach, Janelle Vital. Hi, Janelle, and welcome to the show. Hey, Zach. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Today, we are going to talk about sex and relationship myths. But before we get into that, let's learn a little bit more about Janelle. For those that don't know, Janelle Vital is a coach for shame-free relationships and sexual empowerment. Her passion is empowering people to overcome shame and fear in their intimate relationships and to create the deep connection and fulfilling sex that they crave. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, her message has a wide international reach through her popular TikTok channel with over 200,000 followers. An expert in emotional intelligence and vulnerable communication, Janelle holds a BA in communication from the University of Southern California and a sex and relationship coaching certification from the Somatica Institute. Hello, Janelle. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm excited to talk about unlearning myths that are causing us all stress in our relationships. <laughs> I know. I'm so, I'm so excited too. And before we get into like the specific sex and relationship myths, I wanted to get into why these myths even exist in the first place. Yeah. And why do you think there is just so much misinformation and misunderstandings that people have about sex and relationships? Yeah. I think in our culture, like in so many cultures, sex is really controlled. And I think sometimes that's a good thing. You know, in certain cultures, there's very strict taboos around sexuality that are beneficial. Like, for instance, in some cultures, it would be very taboo to touch your wife for a few years after she's given birth. And that was a way of curbing the population, right? So I think uh, cultural control of sexuality can be beneficial for the group as a whole. But I think in our culture, it's not that simple. I think sexuality is controlled for very specific religious reasons that aren't necessarily useful for society as a whole. The people in power thought they were at a certain time, but you know, I think society is shifting and changing so much where people are kind of overthrowing old ideas that aren't serving them anymore. And I don't think that a lot of these myths about sex and relationships um, really serve a greater good for our society at this point. I would say it's a form of social control that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but at this point, most of them have not become a good thing for most people. You know, that's an important distinction when we do talk and think about sexual liberation is that there are some rules, laws that we have around sex and sexuality, like pedophilia, right. like rape, that are Incest. actually good to keep around. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, some taboos like pedophilia, incest, rape, they're taboos for a reason. They don't create a functional society, you know, if those were happening rampantly and they cause great trauma in people's lives. But there's a lot of things that are taboo that just need to be debunked. And that's why we're here today. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I was wondering. So what are some like, before we get into myths, what are just some taboos that aren't serving us that we should just throw out the window? (sighs) Well, you know, a big one is the relationship escalator myth. So in order for a relationship to be valid, it needs to go through a certain series of steps. You need to get engaged and get married and live together and have kids. And although those things are all wonderful and beautiful and lots of people want those things, those don't necessarily work for everyone. And it's okay to choose a different way as long as you and your partner want the same thing and you're both happy with the decision and having open, clear communication. Even if you are raising children within a a kind of family structure that's not the normal, let's say, heterosexual two-person pairing, your kids will be very functional, normal, great human beings if you and the other adults in your family are happy and not abusing each other or the kids and having good, clear communication, right? So I think there's a lot of myths around like how a family is supposed to look or how a relationship is supposed to look. And again, those can be really great for some people, but they don't have to be universal for the society to be functional. Like what society needs is more people who are happy and healthy, not people who are suffering to fit into a mold. Like our mental health in this country is pretty scary at the moment, right? I would argue people need to create relationships that work for them, you know? And in the sexuality realm, I think some some big myths are like, of course, we're becoming more and more accepting of trans people and of not just heteronormative sex, right? Like two people of the same sex having sex. But, you know, there was a time where those things were extremely taboo and people had the argument like those things are bad for society. But again, I think what's bad for society is for people suffering, their their mental health suffering because they are literally not fitting into what is accepted as the norm and therefore they are unhappy and they're passing on their unhappiness and their trauma and not being themselves to their kids. And another sex myth is more about the mechanics of sex, like that sex has to be a certain way, that you have to orgasm in order for sex to be good, that both of you have to want the same things all the time in sex or else your relationship is doomed. Uh, Yeah. So just all those things are just not, they're not serving us. They're creating unrealistic expectations and a lot of suffering. Okay, so many things we have to we have to cover. <laughs> I want to I want to drop into each one. So I'm gonna put a note on mechanic success, wanting to orgasm, having the same thing. Let's go back to what you were talking about around the relationship escalator. Yeah, which is kind of this like social script that we have, this kind of like framework that we have in entering into relationships. Right, you go on a mm-hmm. few dates, you become exclusive, you right. you know get married, kids, children, whatnot. Right, and you know I also have been thinking a lot about being in shelter in place and the amount of disconnection people are feeling. And yeah. I've also really thought about all the loving relationships that we can bring into our lives on a yeah. daily basis. So when we talk about breaking out of the relationship escalator, you know, a lot of people I think might use it as a nice framework with which to be in. Yeah. And so how do we drop out of that framework and just start to bring more loving relationships into our lives? I mean, again, I think that framework does work well for some people. I think the big question is not what is right, what is normal, is this okay? But the question is reframing it in terms of your own inner knowing in your own life. Is this right for me? Is this okay for me? What are my needs and boundaries? If I give myself permission to think about what I really want in my life, in my relationships, do I want to live with a partner or do I not? 
do I want to have kids? Do I not? Do I want to be sexually monogamous or exclusive or do I not? Do I want to only spend time with my partner? Do I also want to spend a lot of time with other friends, which even in our monogamous culture, it's seen as a negative thing if you spend a lot of time with other people who aren't your partner, even if it's it's just a, you know sexually platonic. So I think it's really doing your own investigation of what works for me. And you might find in that investigation that, yeah, I really want to become exclusive and get married and have kids and live together and be in a monogamous relationship till I die. Like, great. If that's what you want, that's amazing. And if that doesn't feel resonant for you, that's okay too. And if you let go of shame around that and just be real, they're like, yeah, I want something different. You will find other people who want that too. But when you are suffering to try to fit into a mold, you're not helping anyone, the person you're with or yourself. The word authenticity just comes to mind hearing you talk about discarding these cultural myths around how relationships are supposed to look like and just dropping into our own authentic needs and desires around relationships. Yeah, yeah. We're in such an exciting time in human history because old rules about how men and women are supposed to show up are kind of just becoming outdated. There's a lot of old assumptions about gender. And I think we're coming into a time where negotiation is replacing clear rules. And that's terrifying in a way because to the human brain, rules can be really comforting, like clear black or white guidelines of like where you're supposed to go and who you're supposed to be. And, you know, in a lot of ways, those things can be really helpful and comforting. But if you really don't fit within those guidelines and rules, there is a place for you in this country, in relationship on this planet. And if you really come to terms with the fact that, you know, some of these, the standard narrative rules don't fit you. Yeah. You'll find other people who, who are thinking and feeling that way too. And choosing to be authentic is powerful and it's a privilege. You know, a lot of people don't have the emotional capacity or the financial means to even think outside of just survival. But if you're having a difficult time functioning within an old paradigm, you do have the agency to get out of it. So it's crazy how much freedom we have now. And I'm wondering if there's no map, if there's no framework, what is the path forward? So you mentioned how a lot of gender roles we are discarding. And it's beautiful, right? That the equality between the sexes and that the woman in the relationship can be the breadwinner and the husband can stay at home. But the previous framework established roles that people could go into and people kind of knew their knew their place, so to speak, yeah. as bad as it may be. But now there's just total unknown in the freedom. So how do we how do we navigate without the map, without this set rules by society? Yeah, I think it starts with imagining within yourself what kind of life you want and what your skills are and what kind of role you would like to to play in your relationships, in your family. And I think instead of framing it like a power role, what are your gifts? What are your skills? What do you want to contribute? Maybe you were socialized female and you want to be a stay-at-home mom and that's great. And a lot of people feel angst about that. Like, oh God, well, that's not very feminist of me if I just want to be a stay-at-home mom. It's like, no, you do you. If that's what really, if that's what you want, that's wonderful. And if you're like, God, I really care about my career. I want to, you know, I don't want to be the primary parent, but I'm open to having kids. I would just really prefer it if you know, my husband was the primary parent. 
if you're envisioning that, that's the first step is like, just envision what you think fits your truth in your life. And then the next step is to have these conversations with the people who you're with or the people who you're dating and can, can imagine yourself creating a life with. It's just to be like, here are some of my visions for how I can see myself in my life. You know, what about you? How do you see yourself thriving in a relationship structure? Tell me about your sexual fantasies and what kind of sex do you want and how often do you think you might want it? And, you know, also keeping in mind these things shift and morph in life over the course of our life and with the influence of our partner, right? So I think we can't be so dogmatically attached to something like, well, I only want to be the breadwinner in my family for the rest of my life. It's like, well, how can we be open to the mystery of life and just keep negotiating, changing roles and interests with our partner? I think communication is so huge and it's so missing from our cultural training at least in this country, but I'm sure in lots of places, we're just not taught how to have open, vulnerable communication with each other. But that's an exciting thing about this time. I feel like, you know, with Brene Brown talking about shame and vulnerability, and there's lots of people who are starting to talk about like, what does it look like to actually have, you know, these more open, vulnerable conversations with each other? If we can all just start to prioritize learning vulnerable communication and examining our our shame and our guilt and our pain and just openly talking about it without trying to get the other person to change. But just so the other person can listen and be like, thanks for sharing that. Like, well, here's what's coming up for me. You know, here's how we might be able to create a win-win situation given both of our, our needs and fears and hopes and boundaries and vulnerabilities. You know, that's what I really want for the world. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up shame because that was the first thing I started to think about when you said to get in touch with your authentic desires, even if those go contrary to what society tells us about sex and relationships should be looking like. Because you start to think, well, you know, I want this thing, but society around me says that that is wrong. So therefore, something must be wrong with me. Exactly. Yeah. So once we start to feel into like our authentic desires and we start to feel that inkling of shame coming up, how do we go past that? How do we go beyond it? Yeah. I think the first step is to tell yourself, there is nothing wrong with me. I I have this phrase, of course yourself, where you say, God, of course you feel guilty about this because you've been told since you were born that you should want to be in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. And if you're a woman to be a stay at home mom, or, you know, now the narrative is you should be a perfect mom and a career woman simultaneously and never fail it either. (laughs) Um, Never struggle it either. So I think when you feel shame, when you feel guilt, when you feel jealousy, any of these negative emotions, there's kind of this myth that like, if you were actually doing really well, you wouldn't feel any of those things. But being a human is just not that. It's just, it's hard. And we have negative emotions or uncomfortable emotions. Let's not even say good or bad or negative or positive, right? Our emotions make us uncomfortable sometimes. So the first thing is to, of course, yourself and say, yeah, of course you feel that way. And the next step is to just gently invite that discomfort to the dinner table in your heart and just say, okay, I see you. Why are you here? What can I learn from you? You know, what information is in this uncomfortable feeling, right? Because that's where so much growth is. And that's where the discovery of your authentic self is, is just like being gentle and self-compassionate with yourself and asking your discomfort, why are you here? 
I love what you just said. Invite discomfort to the dinner table in your heart. (laughs) (laughs) We just want to squash it and we want to destroy it and we want to judge it. And we already just have so much self-judgment and pain that we're going through. And so to let go of self-judgment around your discomfort is huge. That's the first step because we're just so used to blaming ourselves. Like you said earlier, just being like, something is wrong with me, but nothing is wrong with you. Even if you have a feeling that you really don't want to be there, that you know is wrong, you can change the story by first saying, it's not your fault that you feel that way or that you're thinking this. You cannot choose that this thought is happening, but you can choose how you react to it. And I can start to tell myself a new story or a new thought even if I don't believe it yet. And the more I tell myself it, the more these grooves in my brain will form, right? Because our thoughts create neural pathways. And the more we think a thought, the more our brain will actually follow it. It's kind of like a river carving a canyon in earth. And so the only way you can get to that, creating a new story, one without the pain and the shame of the story you don't want, only way to do that is to first have self-compassion and to, of course, yourself. And to forgive yourself for feeling or wanting those things or thinking those things because they aren't, they aren't yours. You know, they're coming from something else, from indoctrination, from uh, childhood abuse, from whatever, like you are not choosing those things, but you do have the power to control how you react to them. Very mindful approach that you're suggesting. You cannot choose that this thought is happening, but you can choose how you react to it. Yeah. And the only way to do that is not to control it with this masculine, like left brain, like go away. How dare you squash, murder, kill, destroy. (laughs) You know, that's the way our culture approaches problems that doesn't actually do anything. You know, you can coerce people into changing their behavior, but are you authentically changing their heart? No. When you um, attack them and shame them into silence. Some people say, well, shame is really necessary for changing behavior. It's like, well, I mean, it can it can coerce someone into shutting up or stopping a behavior on the surface. But if you really want to get to the root of someone's emotional reality and or your own emotional reality and shift it from the inside out, it, it requires compassion. So you mentioned this idea of creating a new story for yourself. And I'm yeah. wondering, what is the new modern day love story? So you mentioned how there's no norms, right? There's no guidelines anymore. (laughs) Um, You can get off the relationship escalator. You can negotiate all sorts of parameters around your relationship, around kids, around house life, around home life, around monogamy, around non-monogamy, around gender roles. Yeah. So if we're discarding all the old stories and paradigms, what's the new modern day love story we want to start telling? (laughs) I think that answer is different for each individual, you know, and as a coach, if someone asked me that, I would say, what does it look like for you? There's this book I just read by Glennon Doyle called Untamed. It was really powerful. And she says, tell me a story about your most beautiful, truthful life. Tell me a story about your most beautiful, truthful relationship. I think getting people to really excavate their own inner knowing and their own dreams and visions is really powerful. And we've been conditioned to seek the counsel of experts, you know, and that kind of started with the way authority works in our culture is like there's top down, you know, there's priests or bishops and there's presidents and leaders who tell us what to do and what to think. And I think a really amazing restructuring of society would be for people to really start to trust their own intuition 
And sometimes our intuition, the little voice inside of us is not something we actually want to be following, right? If you're like, God, I just like really want to drink a third beer, right? You know, there's, there's some voices that aren't intuition. They're just kind of like habits or things that we don't actually want to be listening to. But I think the knowing, the truth is that voice that's like, you're really in a place of stillness and you're taking deep breaths or you're, you know, maybe you're on like a moving meditation, like you're hiking or you're running. And there's like, there's an emotion, there's a, there's a deep feeling inside of you. And you're just like, yeah, this is, this is truth because I'm feeling it so deeply and strongly. And there's a sense of clarity. And I really want to help people tap into that within themselves instead of looking externally for like, what are the rules of what's okay and what's not? I really think the answer to that question lies in each of us. You know, I don't think there is an answer I can just uniformly say for the world, but you know, if I had to answer that for myself and for my own relationships, it would be, it would be about authenticity and just really showing up as my true self and growing myself while also growing with a person and helping another person actualize in their growth, you know, while we're growing in, in the same direction. And if we start growing in different directions to have the love for that person to say, you know, I think our relationship as it was is, is over now. And I, or I think we need to shift what this relationship is because we're, we're irreparably growing in different directions. But yeah, for me, it's really about authentic growth for both parties, you know, like feeling more free to grow and learn together and through the mirror of being in relationship and seeing yourself reflected in another. So our love story is our most beautiful, truthful life also. (laughs) And it's authentic and it's unique to everyone. Yeah. Mm, Such a beautiful message. (laughs) And I wouldn't mind shifting just a little bit from specifically relationships because, okay, we're in touch with our own authentic truth and what we truly want in our relationships. And now we might meet somebody in a strictly well, I don't want to say strictly physical level, but on a sexual level, which can also be spiritual and mental and emotional as well. Yeah. So moving a little bit on to sex and sexuality, what are some common myths holding people back in their sex life? Yeah. So as I alluded to earlier, a big myth is that you and your partner have to want the same things in terms of fantasies and desires for the kind of sex that you want. And if you don't want the same things, then you're doomed. And there are very certain fantasies or kinds of sex that are that are demonized in our culture, like BDSM, you know, more kinky sex. But the reason that each of us wants a certain kind of sex is because we want to feel and we want to heal in a certain way in sex. A lot of it has to do with our childhood experiences, which sounds weird and surprising, but I just put out a course called Intimate Instincts that's all about this. That's how your innate self-defense mechanisms and self-protection mechanisms that you learn in childhood affect the kind of sex that you want as an adult. So let's say you experienced a lot of disruptions to your safety when you were young you may want to have really slow tantric sex as an adult because it helps you really feel safe. It helps you drop into that connection um, that that maybe you were lacking earlier in life. Or if you had a, a parent who was kind of misattuned to you or just early in life, you didn't have a lot of people who were really giving you the affection and the attention that you needed, you may want to feel worshipped in sex, not like in a power way, but just like you just may want to feel like you're receiving everything that you want and feeling adored. 
But on the other end of, you know, the spectrum is someone who might want to feel, I would, you know, maybe not abused, although that can happen, but someone who wants to have like consensually non-consensual sex, someone who wants to be submissive and have sex happen to them, who has rape fantasies, but who doesn't want to be raped in real life, right? But that's something that they're playing out. You know, that could be because they were overly controlled as a child. And so to to relax and submit to a loving authority who they actually trust could be really healing for them. Or maybe they weren't getting the affection they needed early in life and submitting to a loving authority and just being taken gives them permission to, to really receive sex in a way that they don't feel comfortable with their left brain. So sex is really this like deeply embodied emotional experience. And so people want wildly different things when it comes to how they want to feel in sex. And none of that is right or wrong. So the first myth is like, there's only one kind of sex that's good and healthy. And it's like, you know, probably, you know, it's vanilla. It's very like loving and and slow, you know, and that's, that's wonderful. And that works for some people. You know, there's also people who really want to have like raunchy taboo um, sex with a lot of, you know, a lot of impact, but they are choosing it with agency. It is not something that, you know, they're not in control over. You know, they are saying yes to this other kind of sex that's, you know, very different from what society might feel comfortable with, but for them, it is healing something for them. So that's step one is like, how can we just unlearn that there's only one right way to have sex, you know, to feel in sex in terms of what kind of of sex we're having. And then the next step is what if you and your partner want something different? You know, what if you want really tantric sex, but your partner really wants you to dominate them? What do you do? You know, and so the first step is to realize you don't actually have to be 100% perfectly compatible. You don't actually have to feel responsible to meet every single one of your partner's needs and desires because that pressure puts so much expectation on our sex lives that we think, oh my God, this is a disaster. Something is so terribly wrong if we are not perfectly aligned in the bedroom. And that creates so much strife and pain. So once you let go of our sex life has to be absolutely perfect all the time, you can relax into, okay, well, I don't exactly want that, but maybe I can compromise with you. And it's really difficult to compromise if you're feeling so flooded with shame and guilt, like, oh my God, I don't want to do exactly everything you want. So we're screwed. (laughs) No, no, that's not true. Take a deep breath and be like, okay, well, you want to be dominated. I want tantric sex. Like maybe we could do some kind of compromise where we, we like kiss and, and like have this really slow, beautiful connection for a while. But then I start to tie you up with silk scarves, but it's still slow, but and within my kind of pace, but you're feeling like I'm really taking control and, you know, I'm starting to, yeah, like subdue you through, you know, this more slowed motion, right? There are ways to compromise with the different kinds of sex that we want. But the first step, again, is to let go of the shame and the guilt of if we don't exactly fulfill each other's fantasies, our relationship is doomed. So, so many important points you just made. I want to reiterate this lovely phrase that you said, which is that we want to feel and we want to heal yeah. in sex. Yeah. And I think a lot of people focus on, oh, we just want to have like really great passionate sex. But actually, another important part of it is that we do have these wounds that yeah. that need tenderness and need care. And, and a lot of vulnerability can come up in the bedroom. 
And it reminds me a little bit of the work of Harville Hendricks, who writes a lot about the fact that in our relationships, we do seek to heal the childhood wounding that we have had. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and tenderness can look like something we wouldn't call tenderness. You know, tenderness could look like being caned. You know, some people are into really intense impact play. And for them, that is helping them make sense of something that happened earlier in life and they're choosing it with agency. You know, in the training that I did with the Somatica Institute, they were saying we have both repetition and reparation when it comes to sex. So meaning, let's say your parent often told you you were overweight when you were a kid and they told you you were fat, you needed to lose weight. You may replay that scenario in the bedroom in order to heal it. And you may say, I want my partner to tell me I am gorgeous and beautiful and that I have a perfect body, you know? And you you may want to hear that as a reparation of being told you were fat. Or you may want a repetition where your partner says, get your fat body over here. Oh, you know, like you're so fat, <laughs> but you are asking for it and you are asking for it with agency. And so because you are choosing it, you are healing the child who didn't have a choice. And so both of those are perfectly acceptable ways to heal in sex. And most people in our culture would say the repetition one is is unhealthy and some kind of a dysfunction. But really, it's not. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, which was coming to a compromise and also how difficult that can be. And I think it's easy to get caught up on this word compromise because it almost seems like you're losing out, right? Like, oh, I really want this thing, but oh, okay, I guess I'll go halfway there or something and you can go halfway there. And how can we shift away from thinking that like I'm losing by not getting this desire met and and I'm sacrificing by meeting this desire uh, for my partner to actually by talking about things that we both like is that it takes our sexual life better than it could ever even been before. I think the reality of relationships and of life is that you are going to be disappointed and that you can't have everything you want. And we live in a culture that's all about convenience and that has taught us that you can have the perfect life and you can have everything you want if you just buy this thing or do this series of things that you pay money for, right? It's like, it's a, it's a lie of capitalism. I think really it's like, yeah, you're not ever going to have the perfect relationship or sex life where everything is getting met for you or for your partner. And that's okay. And you can sit with the disappointment and the pain of that with your partner and not try to guilt trip each other or change each other. And that is where deep intimacy is. So, you know, if you and me were having a a big sexual mismatch and I said to you, like, Zach, it's so hard for me that I'm feeling a lot of pain that I want to have sex more than you. And it's, it's just feeling so hard. You know, your reaction, according to like the cultural narrative would either be, you know, you'd get defensive. You would gaslight me and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or you jump right into fix it mode. Like, okay, well, you know, I just, you know, I just really need you to do this. I need to feel, I need to feel less stressed. I need you to feel like you care about me more. But really the first, the first, first thing we need to do for each other is for me to say that thing, like, Zach, I'm really, I'm, I'm disappointed. And for you to be like, yeah, I hear you. It's hard. It sucks. We really need to start with owning disappointment and just sitting with it together. That is such a recipe for, for intimacy. That is vulnerability to not try to fix it or change it right away. So I think we think of compromise as like 
yeah, we're going to create a win-win. Everything's going to be fine, you know? And I, I kind of heard you say that in the framing of the question, and I, I just have to disagree with that. Th- things aren't going to be perfect, and it's okay, and it's okay to feel disappointed by that. And if we cannot get defensive or try to fix it right away and just sit with the hard feelings together, that is such deep love. So you're saying the Rolling Stones were right, that you can't always get what you want? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And and that's really disappointing for our cultural myth. That's like, you can have everything if you just try harder or if you buy more stuff. No, I really appreciate the distinction that you're making of being able to sit with the disappointment and being able to sit in such a vulnerability in your partner, actually creating intimacy. Yeah. Because we talked a little bit earlier about monogamy and non-monogamy, and I wanted to kind of get into what are some healthy paths that a couple might take to explore non-monogamy. But I appreciate you saying that even in a relationship, if you're not getting what you want, that's okay. And that's part of life. Yeah. Right. And you don't immediately have to like try to get that need met somewhere else yeah. by some other person. Yeah. I think a big question is just what are your core values? What are what are very, very, very important needs that you need to have met? And that differs for everyone. So for you and me, if like I want a lot of sex and you don't want any, I might be like, this is a deal breaker for me. And society would shame me as a woman, but anyone's like, what? Sex isn't that important. Just suck it up. It's like, that might be a deal breaker for me, you know, or we sit with our disappointment together and maybe things get a little better. We definitely will get more emotionally close from having that conversation where we sit with our disappointment together. And, you know, maybe we come up with some compromises and that's, and that's good enough. And I sit with the disappointment that things aren't perfect, but my priority is, that we're loving each other and we're taking care of our family together or whatever, right? Like we all have different needs and priorities and there isn't a right or wrong way as long as you are being in integrity and owning your stuff. You're owning your wounding and your impact on your partner. I think that's a really important distinction. So that's so important, right? To discuss your core values at the beginning of a relationship and throughout a relationship to make sure that you are on the same page and also really deciding what your deal breakers are. Yeah. And let's think about how that might relate to a couple who might be interested or one person might be interested in exploring non-monogamy. Because earlier we talked about, okay, we're in a new relationship paradigm. Everything is negotiable. You know, how many kids, who's, who's taking care of the kids, who's going to stay at home and who's going to work. And monogamy is a beautiful way of relating. Yeah. And many people are coming to realize that it's not the only way to relate on an intimate level with another human being. So we've already learned that, okay, if you're in a relationship and you're somewhat dissatisfied, that's part of life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that exploring intimacy with other people is going to complement your current relationship. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about potentially shedding the idea that monogamy is the only way to relate. How do we know if non-monogamy is something that's for us? First of all, I want to say that for most people who are in non-monogamous relationships, open relationships, polyamory, you know, which are all under the umbrella term of non-monogamy, it's very rarely easy. It's a challenge because we're coming up against our preconceived notions about, about relationships you know, I think monogamy is also challenging. Like relationships are just hard. They're tough. Uncomfortable feelings come up and it kind of just depends on like, what's the kind of container that you want? How do you want to learn about yourself and your partner? So for people who will really want monogamous containers, having sexual exclusivity 
You know, and there's other kinds of exclusivity too. Like I was saying earlier, there's like social exclusivity where you and your partner pretty much do everything together. You know, you're, you're like, you function as a couple in the world. It's like, that's something to talk about at the beginning of a relationship. Is that what you want? Or do you want more uh, autonomy and investment in, in friendships outside of this, this relationship? So I think for some people, exclusivity and, and monogamy in whatever way you're defining it, helps them to feel really safe. And it creates a container where they can learn the most about themselves. But for some people, being in a, an, a more open container is where they grow and learn the most. And that's what helps them feel like they're really exploring themselves through the challenges of the container. And I think all relationship containers have challenges and it depends on how do you most want to grow? Do you most want to grow through the challenge of being sexually exclusive with one person where the challenge is, okay, we don't get to outsource sex or relationships or romance. So there's, we need to keep working on this relationship in order to make sure that it is as much as possible, the best relationship it can be for each of us, which, you know, you should also do in an open relationship. You want to be really strong with all your partners or your primary partner. You really want to invest in that relationship. But there's also a way that you may really want to grow by seeing yourself reflected through other people and in a container where maybe your libido is feeling excited by having sex with other people and you bring that excitement home to your partner, right? So, you know, for for me and my partner, we're in a non-monogamous container. And the reason is because our libido is shut down in a monogamous container. And it's not something we can just easily work on. It's just, it doesn't work for us. And we learn and grow so much by seeing ourselves reflected in other people. And we're both extremely extroverted. That's a big reason for it, but that's just true for us. And we easily feel trapped. And both of us had very overbearing caregivers when we were young. They were doing their best. They're, they're amazing people. But you know, for us to feel really obligated to something and really feel trapped in a relationship is, is just something we're always going to feel in relationship, whether or not the person's actually meaning to do it or actually you know being controlling or not. Um, and so for us, it's a pressure release valve to give each other the blessing to connect with other people. It helps us really choose like, oh, we're not, we're not being trapped against our will. Like this is a relationship we are committing to over and over again, you know? And just for us, that's the container that helps us do that. But for some people, monogamy is what helps them do that. So yeah, the question is really, how do you want to learn and grow? How do you want to see your shadows reflected? Do you want to see them reflected through the container of monogamy or through the container of, of non-monogamy? It's really about your shadow and facing discomfort. What way of facing discomfort helps you grow the most? So all relationship containers have challenges. And the question is, how much do you want to learn and grow? And in what areas do you want to learn and grow? Yeah. Like it's okay to not want to be with the discomfort of having your partner have sex with other people. Like that make you, that might physically, somatically make you feel like you're drowning, like shortness of breath, like extremely overwhelming. Like, yeah, that's okay. Non-monogamy is like, probably not for you, you know, but if you're Mm -hmm. like, wow, I really feel in my gut, like that container would really help me learn and grow. And yeah, it's going to be difficult. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get jealous. But if you have like that deep gut knowing that's like, oh man, like, I think that would really work for me. Listen to that, you know, and that's okay. Either way is okay. There's no right or wrong way. You know, what is right or wrong is, is making that decision for yourself and then doing it without talking to your partner, right? That's called cheating because you are making a decision for yourself without including them. And that's betrayal. 
So I think it's like really being honest about what you want and your authentic, you know, your authentic self. And and if you want to explore a non-monogamous container with your partner and you haven't yet been in monogamy for a while, I think just starting really small with being like, yeah, I have, you know, I have this fantasy of us having a threesome or a fantasy of like me watching you with someone else or this fantasy of me with someone else that I'm, I'm not saying I want to act on it, but I'm just like, I want to share the fantasy with you. Is that okay? Or like, is that something maybe we could role play in our, in our sex life? Like you can start really small with just like, we're talking about fantasies and is still keeping it within this monogamous container. But what are your fantasies? Do you ever have fantasies that include other people? Even just that can be pretty radical. And some people have, might have a boundary around that. Just like, no, I don't, I really don't want to hear about how you want to have sex with someone else. And that's okay. That's their right. But you'll be surprised. Like some people will be like, yeah, okay, let's let's have a fantasy, you know, that we're having a threesome um, while we're just having sex with each other, you know, and that can be really exciting and interesting. And it's a really safe way to explore that because you're not actually including another person. It's just it's just the fantasy. Going back to a few things you mentioned. So I love how you're saying that basically there's no right way or wrong way. There's only your way, your authentic, true way. Yeah. And you also mentioned different levels of exclusivity we might have in our relationships, like mm-hmm. there's sexual exclusivity, but then there's also what you might call social exclusivity or romantic exclusivity, mm-hmm. right? I know many people who consider emotional affairs to be even worse than something like a physical or a sexual affair. Right. And you also talked a bit about sticking to one's agreements or not making decisions without consulting your partner. And along with redefining sex and redefining relationships and gender roles, I also know that you have a bit of a different definition around faithfulness or fidelity. Yeah. And what does it mean to redefine faithfulness or fidelity in a relationship? I think you can define fidelity however you want and you can define it with your partner. And there's a standard definition of it in our cultural narrative that means you don't have sex with anyone else for the rest of your life. You know, I think it's really assumed to be about sex first and foremost. And then I think other people would add on the, and you're also not ever going to fall in love with anyone else for the rest of your life. And those are great definitions if that's what it means to you and that's your need and your boundary to feel safe in in relationship and your partner and you talk about it and you agree on that together. However, faithfulness could also be, I promise to be totally honest with you even when it's scary. And I promise to be there for you in your growth, even if it's difficult for me. And I promise to support you in growing and being your you know, living your best life, even if it doesn't include me anymore. You can define being faithful to each other however you want. And I think that's a really powerful, powerful notion. So I promise to be totally honest with you. You know, you speaking of fidelity reminds me of like just the vows that you take. Yeah. Being faithful means remaining committed to something. And it's up to you to define what you want to remain committed to in your relationship, whether it's honesty, whether it's growth or just being there for the other person. I mean, with my partner, if we have a commitment ceremony, I wouldn't do a till death do you part thing, but I would say I would be very happy to take the vow of, I want us to work through our difficult stuff and be together for as long as it's serving us both. And it really, you know, is, is helping us grow to be the best people we can be, which doesn't mean leaving when things get hard. It means maybe we need to leave when we're just on different paths. And it's very clear that our paths are probably not going to align again. 
I commit to that. I commit to letting you go if the way that you need to grow is on a different path than mine. But I'm going to work so hard to overcome our struggles if we are on the same path and we're just having a hard time. That's so beautiful. I don't know how the time has gone, but we're we're running a little bit low on time. But I just feel like in this short conversation, so free, the mm. burden of societal expectations around how our relationships and sexuality should look yeah. are released. And there's just the potential to walk the path of our highest excitement in terms of what we authentically want in our relationship. Yeah, that's so important to me. And I think as someone who is a coach and considered an expert around sexuality and relationships, it's so important to me to give people permission to trust their own authentic truth and knowing. And I would never say this is the right way. These are the, this is the right answer. This is how you should do it. And I think a lot of experts and coaches peddle that kind of a mentality to make money. And I think for me, it's really important as, as a, as an influencer to give people permission to really find that truth within themselves and not look externally for it. I very much appreciate your approach, Janelle. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show. And I wanted to close out by asking you a question I'd love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? What I wish everyone knew about love is you're not doing anyone a favor by loving someone, by giving them everything they want at your own expense. I think a big part of love is putting your own oxygen mask on first in life, meaning really be clear on who you are and what you want and what your boundaries are and stick up for those things in your relationships because that's where deep intimacy is. And that's what makes relationships sustainable is not you giving everything to someone and fully focusing on them at your own expense. You know, it's a mix of building a deep container with someone and growing the attachment, but also continuing to stay true to yourself and investing in yourself and being clear on what's true and right for you. Relationships and love require a balance of those two things. And so the fairy tale is give up everything and do everything for your partner. I see that in men and women. It's not just something that one one specific gender is doing. And I, I want that for the world, for people to to really keep investing in themselves as they're investing and growing and overcoming discomfort and conflict with their partner. Put your own oxygen mask on first. Know who you are, what you want, and stick up for yourself in your relationships. Yeah, and you're doing your partner a favor. You're doing your loved ones a favor by doing that because you won't get resentful and you'll be able to stay connected to them when you do that. What a wonderful thought. Thank you so much, Janelle, for coming on to the show, for sharing us your insight and wisdom and such a liberating approach you have to (laughs) love and relationships. So thank you so much. And for those of our listeners who want to learn more about you and get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can visit my website at lovewithjanelle.com and all my social media handles are lovewithjanelle. Janelle is spelled Jane with an L, (laughs) J-A-N-E-L. So you can find me on TikTok at Love with Janelle, uh, Instagram and YouTube at Love with Janelle. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you listeners for coming on to the show. We hope you remember to put your own oxygen mask on first as a favor to your partners. Mm-hmm. And remember that you cannot choose the thought that is happening, but you can choose how you react to it. Remember that we want to feel and we want to heal in sex. And remember that there is no right or wrong way. 
There is only your true authentic way. And we hope you discover and deepen your truth and live that in every area of your life. Heck yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That was a great synopsis, Zach. I'm impressed. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to ZachPeach.com and learn more about the show at TheHeartCenter.com. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 